Welcome back to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we will be covering a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Worth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. And welcome back to season three. It's, uh, it's been a while, but we're here. We are indeed, and we're very excited to be back with you. We've got some fun things planned uh, this term. And this year in general, we shall be doing season three lasting from now through to probably June-ish, which is quite cool. Yeah, summertime. And this is episode one, Do I Know You? Last season, we discussed topics ranging from theme parks to Mars missions to NFTs to sustainability. And we welcomed a handful of really, really cool guests to uh, share their experiences and chat with us. So be sure to check out any of those episodes that take your fancy, of course, after this one. So today we are discussing facial recognition and AI and everything around it that exists. Yeah, it's a growing worry and technology for, for people in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to talk about it. It is, and it is indeed important. So I guess, you know, to just jump right into it, what is it? Yeah, it's, I mean, the clue's in the name, isn't it? Facial recognition. We all do it in our own brains, but facial recognition as a technology is computers doing our brain's job of looking at someone and going, I know you, you're, let me grab the name from my database here, you are Pablo Samoilis, Um, and Uh it's computers scanning these images or videos or even live surveillance camera feeds, and then they use landmarks on people's faces that they call nodal points and i think a lot of the different softwares have different points that they use so they're not all the same the different companies Mm. have got their own ones set up uh, and they just measure all these different points across the face from the distance between your eyes your mouth your nose your eyebrows cheekbones any of those sort of things um and then it runs it through an algorithm and gives you basically like a unique code but for your face it sure does. And yeah, that code can obviously then just be used in a database and pulled up to bring up other videos that have you in it or other information about you. And of course, it's used by law enforcement. It's used in all sorts of situations. I think it'll be worth mentioning off the bat that there are two distinct types of facial recognition that exist right now. So there's the video-based, image-based, live camera-based one that is used for surveillance and kind of like figuring out who someone is in a video or authentication processes like for example the e-gates in an airport oh those are fun um and then there's biometric facial recognition which is much more secure and it's the kind of thing you might see in movies and seems way out of reach of us but it's actually what's in your iphone or uh, some android phones even some laptops at this point and that actually uses infrared light and it essentially does a 3d map of your face which it compares to another 3D map of your face, and it matches the difference. So you can match, um, or you can falsify facial recognition in other situations with just like a photo or a mask with a print on it. Um, But biometric facial recognition, you can't really falsify because it requires a moving 3D model to be taken and often requires you to like be attentive and everything. So you can't just shove your phone in someone's face and have it work. That's... Yeah, that's so the infrared bit is how iPhones work in the dark because yes, that confused me for a while. 
Yeah, so they're not using the camera at all. You can like on your on your iPhone as a test to kind of prove it. Uh, you can actually like put a little piece of sticky tape or um, your thumb or whatever over the selfie camera, and um, you can still unlock your phone with Face ID because it's a separate module. I believe it's on the other side of the speaker. Oh, I was going to say, well, so, where is it then? That's yeah. I mean, I don't actually have an iPhone that has facial recognition because. Oh yeah, you have one of the older ones, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's you know it, it's quite a cool little piece of technology, and um, it's what's used for biometrics. Similar places that have like retinal scanners or whatever aren't necessarily comparing it to a photo; they're comparing it to a three D mapping of the similar thing, mm-hmm. because otherwise you could just hold a picture of your friend in front of their phone and it would unlock for you. It feels very sci-fi. There's a, there is an element of these technologies which does feel quite exciting and oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah, 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 sci-fi. But there is some questions that they raise, isn't there? There sure are. And I mean, you know, I think we're already approaching this, and everyone thinks about this as if it's very new. But the technology was first, you know, kind of developed like a while ago. Uh, but obviously, it was nowhere like it is today. Yeah, I think when I was looking, I found that the first kind of concepts and ideas of it was developed in the 60s but it was more like grabbing loads of pictures of people's faces and using an algorithm that i think they probably manually did rather than using a computer to do it to identify which one's the same person sort of thing but the the idea was there um and it's just that as computers have got more powerful and ai it's become more accessible yeah absolutely and i think we could do an entire podcast episode on like the the kind of science behind um, criminology, because there's a not not to sound like every true crime podcast ever, mm-hmm. um, but you know there's like before fingerprinting was something that we were aware of. Uh, the methods used to kind of identify people were very similar to this, and this was you know way 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 back in the eighteen hundreds um, when they were essentially measuring people's body proportions. And keeping that as a record so that they could later identify you based on those measurements. And that's where like anthropometrics came from, which of course are a huge, huge part of the design industry and making sure that things are ergonomic and fit to people. So it's interesting that in a way that's essentially what's resurfaced. That's very true. I did not think of that at all. I only thought of it right now. So, you know, there we go. Yeah, yeah that's really true because they used to have... I mean, my mum's been doing a bit of ancestry and stuff like that, and you find all these old records, and it was military records he was finding, and it was like a, a grandparent that was quite short or something like that, and it was, it's like, it's funny, those sort of things, it's like, yeah, they record different dimensions and body measurements, and yeah, it's the same sort of thing that's being used now, I guess, to higher accuracy degree with these computerized things, but that's kind of no surprise, really, we're always getting more accurate at things in all technological fields. Yeah, exactly. On to uses. Where is it used? Where are we seeing facial recognition today? Obviously, mobile phones, um, you know, iPhones in particular with Face ID, uh, biometric payments for payments and all that kind of thing. Um, But outside of that, I think the biggest place is kind of policing, law enforcement, security. Yeah, and that's the big one that raises the most discussion, I think. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, just just off the bat, I feel I wrote this down in our notes, and I think it's worth mentioning that the whole like enhance thing that you see in movies, you know, where they zoom into a person <laughs> and they can't tell who it is, and they just say enhance, and suddenly they can. Like that's not real. <laughs> that, that's definitely not real. Oh, that's that's one of my favorite movie gimmicks. That's such a good trope. But yeah, that doesn't exist. But it, it's just you know, at events, public spaces, public transport, city downtown areas, they're just kind of like tracking and monitoring through facial recognition to essentially identify people, uh, which supposedly is supposed to like identify, well, A, if, if there's a crime, you can identify who did it, but it's also supposed to like identify potentially dangerous people in places where maybe they shouldn't be. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's quite prevalent. It's, I think it's probably more prevalent than people realize. Um, it's not every police force in the UK that's using it yet, um, but a lot of them started trialing it, and I'm sure more are jumping on board sort of every year. Um, but it's just if you go up to somewhere like London and you're on the on the tube lines and stuff like that, it doesn't... I mean, I always feel like I'm being dodgy by doing this, but sometimes you look around and you can sort of, like, spot there's, you know, security camera there, security camera there, security camera there. And to the untrained eye, I guess, all these security cameras kind of look the same, so I have no idea which ones would be facial recognition ones, or even if they need certain types of cameras um, for facial recognition. But, yeah, it's just any of those sort of things. They could be... Uh, could be picking up your face and knowing who you are. Yeah, it's just, it's a little bit terrifying, but it's, you know, it's video from, I don't necessarily think all CCTV cameras can do it, but, you know, definitely not the older analog ones in some places. Uh, but anything digital and the body cameras worn by police, so any kind of, like, interaction you have with them, obviously they aren't being, like, told through their earpiece who they're talking to as they talk to you, but, like, retroactively all that data is being collected which is kind of terrifying, I'll be honest. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's similar with, like, border control. Obviously, we're all used to these passport gates at this point, and they're really nice and efficient. Uh, but, you know, it's still, like, you stop and you look at a thing and it scans your face and your passport. It's not actually, like, compare. It's comparing your face to your passport picture, essentially. Mm. Um, it's not like... It, obviously, it's keeping all that data, which is terrifying, but it's not, like, building a map of your face and comparing it to some database they have it's just comparing it to the passport image um but like you know for example heathrow airport was considering um and we're putting research money into eliminating the gates entirely obviously this was pre-brexit so it probably won't ever happen um but they were just going to have a hallway with a whole bunch of cameras pointed at you and if, essentially by walking 50 meters through a hallway it would give it enough time to figure out who you were and then at the end, they'd have someone just like pulling a couple of people away that they actually had to properly talk to and everyone else could literally just walk straight through. I thought you were going to say it was going to be like those um, production lines where they spot the rejects and like flick them away really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the floor um, just disappears underneath people that haven't got passports. Oh, that's a, that's a funny thought. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe not quite. It's a bit Wallace and Gromit, isn't it? Just drops them onto a shoot. Perhaps, perhaps the animation that explains how it works could do that. Um, <laughs> but as far as I remember when reading about it, it was just going to be like you get to the end and there's someone there who pulls out like one or two people from the line and they're the people who are going to get, you know, questioned on like, so, you know, what's the purpose of your visit or whatever. Everyone else could just walk straight through, which if you think about really nice and efficient, it would save so much time. But it also, nice. what the hell data are they using to do that? Yeah, I mean... Because you don't even have to show a passport. They just know who you were. 
and be able to go, oh yeah, you have legal stay for three months or you live here or whatever. I guess they can just tie it to passport photos because passport photos, you're literally giving them an image of your face, which is done in the same sort of way for everyone so they can use the same. Um, but then again, I was looking at how they work these sort of things out and they need multiple pictures from different angles. So they must have to take that picture and then find another picture of you somewhere, which you've willingly given up for some reason. Yeah, I just honestly thinking about it almost makes it too scary. Um, mm. And it's I, I'm kind of the whole technology, I think, is most interesting in the kind of creative uh, ways it can be used because everything around like security uh, and law enforcement just has so many weird, weird kind of caveats to it. Yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty of things that we don't know because we're not allowed to find these sort of things out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the whole idea of it just being able to monitor you is, I mean, there are pros and cons to it. I think it's, it, it does feel a bit scary and people often say it's almost a bit Orwellian, but it's, there are pros to these sort of things because obviously security is important. You know, you want to be able to feel confident in, in the fact that you're safe walking down the street. And in a way, this does give you a little bit of that because it would hopefully allow security agencies and governments to identify potentially dangerous people, potentially criminal people, terrorists, those sort of things before they get to do anything. You know, if they someone that they're tracking and they have a ping come up to say, we've identified this dangerous individual is over here heading towards this large scale sporting event, you might think, hang on. They might, you know, I don't know what, mm. how the police do these sort of things, but they might be able to stop these sort of things. And there is an element of comfort, I guess, in that idea, but it always comes at cost, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. And I think it's, it's interesting because a lot of how the UK, the UK's use of facial recognition is new. So there's not a lot of data out around it, to say the least. Um, but what has kind of come out of it was one thing, and I was going to mention this uh, in a little bit, but I might as well say it now, uh, was testing facial recognition in London, which is something that's been happening quite a lot recently, uh, came under obviously a lot of scrutiny. People were concerned about it, but they actually had a independent study um, done by the University of Essex that found, I believe, that like 70% of the data wasn't actually all that valuable. Now, obviously, that's still 30% of the data is. Um, mm. But the bigger thing that came from it was that it really very quickly created some heavily racialized, uh, biased, essentially, like, dockets on people. Mm. And this really reflects what happened in America post 9-11. So, obviously, facial recognition was not being used widespread between 2001 and 2010 or whatever. But the huge kind of Islamophobia that came from post 9-11 meant that the FBI started very actively um, surveilling Muslim communities. Now, the vast majority of those people were never doing anything wrong, but just by kind of like virtue of looking at any, right? Like if, you, if you look at someone for long enough, you are going to write down some information about them, right? Mm. So what happened was, you know, after a few years, the file folder for George Wyeth, the, you know, white guy who lives his life, had like maybe one page in it, right? Whereas the file folder for a Muslim person who is identical in every other way was pages and pages thick, simply because they were the one being looked at. Yeah. And I think that 
that bias that is so easy to create, like just simply by fo- focusing your your look, you know what you're doing in a certain direction, you you will find evidence against someone. Whether or not it means anything is totally different. So I think the danger with this is if we're using it to track people who could be dangerous, the fact that we're looking at them and not everyone else means that every activity they do will be going up against them in some way. Mm. And essentially the alternative is to fully track and build files on everybody, which isn't exactly good. No, and it's probably not really going to work because there's be too many people, I guess. Yeah, that too. But there is, yeah, there is a lot of talk and issues around these sort of technologies being that oftentimes these facial recognition things just don't work as well on non-white faces. That too, I, yeah. I guess that's a problem probably with the development and the testing that gets done is more heavily done in white communities. So that's what the program gets sort of trained to, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with even like, you know, completely separate to this, but mobile phone cameras up until very recently have been pretty terrible at like getting complexion lighting correct for people of color. Yeah. Um, I know Google, the new Google Pixel phone, they made a big deal out of like all of the research they've done over the last year to essentially get all of the like auto editing image enhancement stuff to actually look good on black faces. Mm. Um, and it just didn't before. So, you know, to think that the, the AI industry obviously isn't using like the newest, brilliant, most wonderful cameras, they're using surveillance equipment that can be deployed at a large scale. Yeah, I remember it was probably quite a while ago because I feel like I was at school when this sort of news story went round. Um, and there being the story of it must have been one of the new iPhones or something like that that had some cell camera and it would give you little little comments about like, oh, do this, do this, do that. And it was like when Asian people were trying to take a selfie, it would be like, oh, someone's got their eyes closed because the algorithm hadn't been trained to have smaller eyes. Like it was, oh, yeah. yeah, it's one of those things where it's very much heavily done on Western white sort of complexions, isn't it? So it doesn't work yeah. as well with, with others, which is an issue. It definitely is. And that, I mean, that's not even to mention just like the, the base principle of like, it's your own data, you know, should it be, should it be being used when you have like no, you know, it's like there's not an active warrant against you or anything. Mm. Should it be being used just for fun? Well, that is the issue. Is it's it's very difficult, isn't it? Because you don't want to restrict people's fun, I guess. Um, and th- this actually sort of ties into one that I found, which I this is something that I found that I didn't know about that I found is really quite terrifying. Um, there's a Russian site called Yandex which is almost like Google Images, um, and it allows you to do reverse image searches, but it's not just any old reverse image search. You could take a picture of someone, reverse image search that picture, and it will be able to find that person on social media, profiles, anything that they've been tagged in. So you can literally just take a picture of someone walking down the street or someone in the background on telly or something like that, search, and you can find their profiles, find their names. And yeah, that's very much a case of going from having these social medias, which obviously we can talk about social media as an entire different episode, probably multiple episodes, but social medias are there as something that people can just use sort of for fun. You know, we all, we all want to have 
our like profiles and stuff like that. At the end of the day, we have ways to share things with family, friends, whatever. And suddenly that bit of fun, I guess, um, software that we're using can be spun and turned against us in a way. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, a, I mean, I've never, I didn't know the brand, but I remember when this all came out, it was, people were terrified about like the kind of potentials for stalking, right? Because all you, all someone has to do is take like a candid photo of someone that they, you know, want to, well, yeah, stalk. <laughs> And then suddenly they have that person's social media and like none of us are as tight with our social media as we should be because we have this expectation that it's only being given to the people we give it to. Right. Mm. So like, I'm sure you could follow like through my social media, you could probably piece together within a couple of square miles where I live. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, my home address isn't on there, but like it wouldn't be difficult to easily the city and Within that, I'm sure the neighborhood, just based on the places I visit the most, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's quite likely with a lot of people. I mean, I try and keep my, especially my my public account that I have on Instagram, I try and keep locations a bit more anonymous, but it wouldn't take that much to look at the backgrounds and pictures and roughly work out, you know, where I am. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, so there's that and there's um, usage again, just like within policing, when they've experimented with it, there have already been cases of people being fined just for like covering their faces as they walk past it. So this happened, there were quite a few news articles around it. It's happened in London again, where they were deploying facial recognition outside a tube station, just literally just to see if it worked. It wasn't a permanent thing it was a hey we are doing this today and they had a big sign saying we're doing facial recognition today um and some guy was pre-covid walked past and he like pulled his scarf up over his face and the police stopped him and issued him a 50 pound fine right there what the hell yeah for covering his face while walking past a camera um i mean i've not i've not read up on it but there's not any legal requirement to show your face at those sort of things is there I don't believe so, but I believe, you know, it's one of those things like if the police, had, I don't know, maybe they, he was, they argued he was getting in the way of an investigation or something. I don't know. I believe he did take it to court and eventually won, basically saying that I should be able to do what I want. Mm. Uh, but the point is, you know, they still just like, he just didn't want to, you know, be facially recognized. Like, is that too much to ask? You know, and it's it's like, it's so dangerous around like protesting too. So obviously there's a... There's been a huge movement in the UK against the like new policing bill that could make certain protests criminal, depending on what happened during the protest. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also saw this in like Hong Kong, and you know facial recognition was being deploy- deployed on a massive scale during the Hong Kong protests. So everyone started covering their faces and using umbrellas and whatever. Uh, and then the response was the government started doing gate recognition. So based on the way you walked, they could build a profile as to who you were. Yeah. I mean, China has obviously has used these technologies a lot heavier than I think other countries have for oh, longer. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure I saw something about China having, I don't know if they had implemented it or just trialed it um, as a software where they had such a database on people that literally you could walk past and you'd have a a rating that it would assign to you based on how good of a citizen you were. Yep, they've used uh, those certain programs. Th- th- those don't exist within large metropolitan areas of China, but um, definitely 
I believe in the kind of like Uyghur Muslim communities, they have been used to kind of like control populations essentially. And you have to have like above a certain score to be able to move to certain parts of the city, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just kind of a terrifying concept. It's such a black mirror level concept. Oh, absolutely. Um, I will plug our Instagram right now uh, at assemble.it because I'll make sure that we post a picture of some anti-facial recognition makeup that people have been doing. Uh, it's It started off as a research thing, but has kind of gained popularity where essentially if you do makeup on your face to kind of like shift light and stuff um, and make the balance off, make yourself really um, like asymmetrical, it really just stops facial recognition from working at all. Mm. And it also just looks really cool. So I'll make sure we have a picture of that posted if you'd like to take a look at that. Yeah, I think there's also glasses that you can get that have like LEDs along, along them in certain spots, which just sort of, I guess, blind the camera in a way. You look yeah. at a camera and it can't see your face because of the brightness of the lights. But the thing is, you don't really want to be walking down the street wearing those sort of things. No, exactly. You don't. And then again, you know, if you walk past the police with those, they might fine you for wearing facial recognition blocking glasses. Mm. But then it's, it's it shouldn't be difficult for people to be able to say, I don't want you the the government to know that I just went to go to Sainsbury's to buy another cake because I'm feeling sad today, and it's not that that's illegal. You just sometimes just don't want the you don't you don't want that tied to you. You're having a down no, exactly. day. Exactly, and plus, like you know, the, the obviously the government are the people doing this to this extent right now. But how long until private companies do it and start to use it for advertising, start to use it for personalization, right? Because if if the technology exists to the scale where the government can do it, it's only a matter of time before Sainsbury's is doing it. So that when you enter their store and buy their cake, they're then selling that to John Lewis. No, sorry, John Lewis's waitress. Whatever. They're selling that to some other company that is owned by the same people mm. um, who will then show internet ads for more cake, you know? Yeah. yeah and I think all of this ties really well to, I mean, maybe the only good thing about the coronavirus was that people are wearing face masks now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, maybe facial recognition has taken a big old hit i think it did take a hit but from what i found the uh companies that do it um well they had to obviously put some research into other ways of identifying people but apparently some of them have found ways they've developed new algorithms which only need your eyes and your eyebrows i feel like that's easier to fake because there's less data i guess for it to collect but i don't know how it works they're not going to they're not going to share that, are they? So um... no, and that's not a good thought because I was I was just thinking, you know, um, this is, I, I've said in the notes here, quote, praise the Apple Watch, uh, which we will do an episode on wearable technology. Um, I'm excited to do that. That will definitely happen. But yeah, I have mm. an Apple Watch now, and uh, Apple has a thing where if you're wearing a mask and you try and do Face ID on your phone, obviously it won't work because it can't ID your face. But if you have your watch on, it detects that you're wearing a mask and then it unlocks the phone anyway. So yes, obviously it's much less secure. And if someone was sitting next to you, they could hold the phone up to their face with their mask and it would probably still unlock because it's a, it, you have to be within like a foot or two feet of the watch for it to work. Mm. Um, but also when it happens, your watch buzzes and there's a big button on the screen to relock the phone if it wasn't you that did it. But you know, that was their kind of like make face ID not useless in the face of COVID. Um, but it's, I think scary to think that actually that wouldn't be necessary with certain technologies that can just use your eyes and eyebrows. Yeah. And I suppose your ears. Yeah, I guess ears could be available, although headphones are a common thing to wear around outside. True, true, very true. Yeah, it's um 
It's a strange one, isn't it? It is, indeed. I, I think it's kind of unavoidable, unless governments across the world decide to agree to ban it. But I don't think that they will, because... No, it benefits it's, them. It's benefiting the gov- governments a lot more than it is benefiting, benefiting other things at the moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that kind of just leads us to you know our final point of discussion today, which is deepfakes. Uh, obviously, very different, very different things. Um, but same technology, you know, they're, they're using kind of the motion capture type system, but just using it for nefarious purposes. Mm. Yeah, it's deepfakes, I guess. I mean, I guess they, they definitely tie into the facial recognition side of things because it's that technology of being able to trick human, human mind, I guess, in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, they, they came up in the news, like, I want to say 2015, 2016, everyone was terrified of deepfakes and mm. all the damage they could do. And they haven't really, but also, like, I think it's it's only because they haven't been bad enough yet for you to be able to, like, ever think that one is real, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, at the moment, like, the political tools being used is they'll take you know, someone's speech or press conference or whatever, and edit things together and cut things in a way that it conveys a false message. But that's existed for decades and decades and decades. You know, since the beginning of television and radio, people have been physically cutting and taping tapes together to make it sound like people said other things. I mean, even before that, before audio and video medias, just in written things, newspapers oh, yeah, yeah. could easily Absolutely. take comments that said by people out of context it's oh t- taking comments out of context and repeating what people said wrong it's yes but it's it's the the verifiability of audio and video mm. has never really existed in the sense that you could so easily convey false information and you know most deep fakes at this point are just kind of funny but like if they had the same technology as we've seen in like some films with kind of de-aged ai characters like in star wars that would be terrifying yeah, I mean, in the age of oh, actually, yeah, hang on, do they still use video as a strong sort of evidence within court cases? Because you could easily have, well, I say easily, but you could you could falsify someone saying that saying something incriminating in a case. I guess. I yeah, guess I mean, must- they, you know, video evidence is still the strongest form of evidence. So if you had like someone you know an actor or a body double reenact a murder and then try to present it as evidence like supposing it was even enough that would work Mm. again this is very black mirror isn't it it is very black mirror i should just watch that show i still haven't no no right (laughs) okay well homework to us and homework to any of you listeners go watch black mirror Mm. yeah it's an odd it's an odd technology but as i said there are exciting ideas about it you know, you, there's there's plenty of technologies that, I mean, we've talked about um, IoT before, Internet of Things, where it might be useful for these sort of things. I saw that there's some car companies are considering using it as a way to recognize the driver for, well, instead of having, like, keys um, that you need to start. I mean, we've already got keyless cars. Mm. Um, but it also could be cars have different presets for different people you could just sit down in the car and the seat pulls you into the right spot and the mirrors move and stuff like that for you like there are all all the all the authentication and kind of like personalization stuff outside of advertising and outside of surveillance are brilliant and the technology itself is just kind of fundamentally cool 
I think it just it just either needs to be really re- well regulated. It's kind of it's the same thing with AI, right? You it's it's very cool, it's very awesome, but you either need to regulate it incredibly or somehow give individuals the power to like step away from it if they want to, right? Yeah. I guess it comes down to um authorization in a way. You know, with an iPhone, you've scanned your face and you've authorized your face to use that. Sorry, your yeah. your, your phone to use your face. Whereas, or yeah, or using it in a car, you've probably had to scan your face into the car so that it all works. It's like, it's just the technology that you're using yourself. But when you put a picture online and you've not given it the, um, you've not said that it can use, use that image to scan your face and something is, that's kind of where it's more of a breach of your own privacy, isn't it? I think that's actually, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you aren't required to use Face ID. You wouldn't be required to use a face scanning car personalization tool but you don't get a choice to say no to a camera in a train station short of never leaving your house you know Mm -hmm. and if you do say no then suddenly they start incriminating you and giving you a fine exactly anyway that rounds up this episode pretty well is it a good thing is it a bad thing the answer is yes um (laughs) it just it just is honestly So yeah, uh, you know, please let us know your thoughts if you have them on Instagram and yeah, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers and the surveillance state. Unlike videos and blogs, podcasts have no algorithm for recommendations and rely entirely on word of mouth from you as our listeners. Yes, sir, do indeed. So yeah, follow us on Instagram at assemble.it for a deep look into the show and our own work behind the scenes outtakes projects updates and we'll be sharing uh, little bits and bobs from the episodes on there of course as well and that'll be getting active again now that we're back on track indeed it will be and yeah we'll, we'll post a picture of some of the cool facial recognition makeup and glasses and things that we mentioned in this episode once more remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends family co-workers and the surveillance state Ooh, we'll see you in two weeks with our next episode goodbye Bye for now. Some Assembly Required is co-hosted and produced by Pablo Samoyles and George Wyeth and edited by George Wyeth. Music is by Mikey Burtwistle. This is a 76 podcasting production.